think there's a lot of people who feel that they get pushed around a little bit and they do the day in day out dirty work in this country and they they told they're essential on one day but on the next day they're forgotten and essential workers cannot telecommute they cannot stay home and they are essential long before the pandemic long before the pandemic and i was never so proud as to be out in the middle of the street the other night at 3 a.m with working class people with kids and families and bills and things to do and there they were standing up for themselves but also all the rest of the people in this country and today i'm proud that we have reached a tentative agreement to, to sign a new contract to protect all those things and get away it could not be done without all of you without all of you being engaged and caring about one another and i'm hoping upon hope that that spark will be lit in our country that was teamsters local 202 president danny kane announcing the union's tentative agreement with management for a new contract for around 1400 workers at the hunts point produce market in the bronx they had been on strike for about a week. We're going to get to the, the strike uh, a little bit later, but first, Dad, let me get your thoughts on the inauguration of Joe Biden. I'm sure you've seen all the memes of Bernie Sanders. You know, they, they cropped out him there with his jacket and his mittens, uh, I think, <laughs> looking somewhat, uh, you know, not not super enthusiastic about being he there. I think aesthetically he, was he the, didn't look like part the, of the the production. He was like sitting on the side by himself, uh, and the mittens you got to laugh. Um, and the mittens themselves, I mean, he he explained that some lady uh, made them for him, and that's cool. But I mean, the way he had his arms crossed, it, it was it's a very bizarre look. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I feel like there's a reason why. That more than anything seems to have been been what resonated with people mm-hmm. from the inauguration. Yeah. You think it was symbolic? Um, he was xing out everything that was happening. I think maybe what people were picking up on was just a feeling of sort of detachment and frustration with, you know, the the um, gilded, uh, you know, Hollywood style production and the glitz and the glamour that like. Here we are. We're all coming together. All of these celebrities from the '90s are here uh, to to remind you that like America's back or something. Like our, all of our problems have been solved. And there, I think that maybe part of the reason why the Bernie Sanders meme really took off was because people were, in a way, rejecting that or or rejecting the the spin of the inauguration as this giant. Um, you know, show of like unity and that everything's everything's good again and everyone's like feeling great again. You know, I I, I tend to disagree with what you're saying because I I don't th- I think you're reading way too much into it. I think it was just funny, um, and and that's why there were so many and so varied memes of him everywhere um, because it was just a funny look. I mean, well, whether it was intentional or not, I don't know, but he was just funny looking 
I mean, I think he's probably confused and annoyed, if I had to guess. I did see that he put up... Uh, he, he they put out like a limited edition j- like version of that jacket that has the meme on it like the meme logo uh-huh. um, yeah <laughs> on the chest of the jacket right. and it was to raise money uh, I think for to feed you know to feed hungry people in Vermont or something and they sold out in a couple of hours all these jackets and he raised however many thousands of dollars mm-hmm. but I would assume he wasn't doing anything intentional I think he's just uh sort of a very straightforward guy that was like, it's cold. I'm showing up in the one good jacket I have <laughs> that I think, and, and, and the mittens that were given to him by the teacher in Vermont. And I don't think he really thought much about it, but I think the phenomenon in terms of like, I mean, you got to imagine Tom Hanks was there. Garth Brooks was there. Lady Gaga was there. Barack Obama was there, right? All of these incredibly famous, uh, figures that, that weigh heavily on the American psyche but but the Bernie Sanders thing was was the thing that really took off in in an organic way yeah right? yeah it, it produ- making a meme is not something that uh, a media platform or a corporation really has the power to do it has to be something that really resonates with people so I guess that's kind of my question it's like a psychosocial question yeah, I, and I guess my answer is the same. I, I think it was just a funny look, and it was because <laughs> it was very easy to do because he was sitting all by himself. There was nothing around him. I, I think um, it just gave uh, a lot of laughs to a lot of people, which you know you could say good things about. But I don't think I, I don't read politics into into the um, into the memes being so popular as you are. All right. Well, I have a question here from one Andrew Miller about uh, the coverage of the inauguration. So I'll, I'll play that and we'll get your reaction. Okay. Okay. I didn't actually watch the inauguration when it aired in real time. Um, couldn't do it. But I uh, went back and pieced it together. It made me feel fucking terrible inside. Internal bleeding levels of cringe. Yeah, okay. So my question is, how is my response to this so divergent from the mainstream takeaway? So is it either that the people who put this thing on and the pundits who talk about it on TV are cynical and they know it's a schizophrenic patchwork of cultural signifiers or do they think it's good? And they like it. I think he's 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 responding to just the cheesy corniness of it, and all of the reactions from you know mainstream media, television pundits who like cried and said that you know this was America and its full full breadth of its greatness once again, and the whole world witnessing the the reemergence of the great American empire and all of its glory. Okay. So I, I think you two, <laughs> you two and, and your ilk, I hate to, to say a word like that about um, young people, but I, I think um, you're just way too cynical about this. I think um, a lot of Americans, um, myself included, feel that the, the, the pomp, if you will, of a inauguration is, um, very, very important 
to um, showing the world that the American um, political system works and we have a peaceful transition um, in a lot of the... I don't, know if, I don't know if you can say that. Well, you have to. I mean, there was, in fact, a peaceful transition. Yeah, there was... Well, no, there the, was the, the, the whole transition wasn't peaceful. Well, I'm not saying... This I'm not saying... Inauguration Day, I guess, was... There's no outbursts of violence on Inauguration but, Day. But the transfer of power includes the procedural part the, of it, and that was not peaceful. The, the whole procedure of the um, inauguration presents that image, okay, if you will, of the peaceful transition of power. That's what happened. Trump flew away in, the, in Air Force One. Biden came down the stairs and uh, was sworn in. And, you know, what more can you say? Um, it wasn't like they used to do in the Soviet Union, uh, where somebody was executed or taken away and shot or put in jail in a gulag. That didn't happen. Um, yeah, we had we had a terrible event on the fifth. I mean, that shouldn't have happened. Um, and I, to a degree, I blame Trump for that. I think it was pre-planned by a lot of uh, vicious people. But uh, and I don't know how witting or unwitting Trump was to bringing that about. But it happened, um, and it was horrible. But the we're talking about the inauguration itself. I thought that went. Um, as America expects and to the, see. And the coverage of the inauguration, well, really, I think, is a lot of the, Andrew's point. Well, the coverage is, is, like I said... Which you also took took issue with, right? I it's, take issue with, exactly. You know, it's like, you know, they're, they're falling over themselves. Like the, the lights coming up along the tidal pool, or, uh, you know, Biden's arms wrapping around them. Yeah, come on. I mean, that's absurd. They're being absurd. But I guess to... So, so then to Andrew's point, maybe it's not so cynical and crazy that he had that reaction the reaction that he did he's asking why does the coverage of the inauguration not match with his feelings of cynicism or 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 detachment from the glory of it all well i don't know why i don't know why he's I don't know why he's detached from the glory of it all. It's pretty amazing. It's a pretty amazing process. been going on for, uh, you know, several hundred years now. It's pretty uh, damn amazing. And when you think about George Washington could have not done that. He could have became king, Um, you know, and and it started the the process that this has been going on since the beginning of this country. And it's just amazing. Just think about that. Just think about that. You've got the most powerful person in the world sitting in that White House for four or eight years or whatever, and then they just walk away, and somebody else comes in, either from their party or from another party, as we had here. It happens, regardless of all of the animosity and all of the strife and all of the hard feelings and, and... unhappiness in this country uh, and divisiveness in this country, it still happened. So, yes, democracy works. So you think it's warranted that what a, you know Rachel Maddow would, would tear up and get emotional? No, at no, the... you're talking about the coverage. The coverage by the mass okay. media. So, so let's talk about the coverage. Well, okay, so the coverage was absurd. They didn't do. They didn't cover Trump's. <laughs> I was trying to say this earlier. They weren't covering you know Trump's uh, inauguration this way. Um, they only covered Democrats. I mean, they didn't cover Bush's uh, inauguration that way. 
They cover Clintons, they covered Obamas, and they cover Bidens this way. They fawn, they fall over themselves because, because they're all Democrats and they're very partisan. And that is not what the third estate is supposed to be. It's supposed to be the watchdog. It's supposed to be keeping everybody on their toes and honest. But look, let me just tell you, because maybe, maybe this didn't really um, come across to you as much as it would to someone my age, but the the people who were playing at the inauguration like just the star power that was there okay tom hanks uh honestly like made made a bunch of movies in like the 90s and the early aughts but is not really like a very resonant figure for the culture that's below like let's say 40 years old maybe but he's Um, an american icon he's an american icon garth brooks was famous garth brooks was famous in the 90s uh, the the new radicals were famous in the '90s. The Foo Fighters were famous in the '90s and in the early aughts. Um, you know, uh, Lady Gaga was really famous in like the early aughts. You would prefer so, you would prefer hip hop and and rap and heavy metal. I don't know. I don't understand. So you're no, you're not happy no. with their choice of music. I don't know who chose that. I thought Lady Gaga it hit it out of the park it, with her with her rendition. I, I thought she did fabulous. And Lady Gaga doesn't go back to the aughts. Lady Gaga, uh, you know, did a got an Academy Award what uh, two three years ago. Yes, she did, and and I thought she was good in that movie. But I, I guess Lady Gaga to me was actually one of like the better. Far, far be it from me to be a Lady Gaga supporter here, but but she she was excellent and she was great in that movie. Um, you know, J Lo. I don't know. It's very hard to articulate why something is or isn't corny, and it's a very relative thing, right? Why is something corny and make me, as Andrew put it, cringe? You know. Well, okay. And maybe I, why does maybe, that same thing make someone else feel maybe good? Maybe some maybe know? some level of corniness is uh, something that's needed right now. It's somewhat of a salve on America's wound. I don't know. You know, maybe that's... I'm starting to sound like those people. So you thought, inauguration, good, well done, not corny. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say it wasn't corny. I mean, if you see it as corny, I, I think, well, okay, maybe some of that is good. Let's change subjects and talk about the worker strike at Hunts Point Produce Market in the Bronx. Uh, your home hometown... Yes, my hometown. I was a police officer there. I worked in uh, Hunts Point once in a while. Um, but I, I have to be honest, as a San Diego person, I haven't seen anything about this in the papers. I haven't seen anything about this on the news, national news. And I think it's a local story in New York. I don't think it's got outside of New York, but be that as it may. I, mean, I think it has resonated a bit because... AOC, uh, you know, showed up at the picket line. She actually skipped the Biden administration to go picket with the workers on on inauguration day, and drew a lot of attention to to this cause nationally, but I think probably also locally in New York, um, and ultimately helped them to get their deal. But basically, these are people who work uh, unloading unloading and loading um, produce at what I think is the biggest produce market in the United States, Mm -hmm. or at least on the East Coast. Uh, And they had a contract that was up for renegotiation, and they were asking for an extra dollar an hour and to maintain all of their health coverage. Uh, There were several members of this local who have died uh, during the pandemic, and, uh, and 
so in the contract renegotiation, they basically were asking for a dollar an hour wage increase. Um, I showed up there to talk to some of the union members and see how the strike was unfolding. And one of the things I was really sort of the most curious about was that week, the Democratic Socialists of America, which is very active here in New York, were sending hundreds of members to to show up to the picket line. And they were bringing lots of food and support and ultimately media co- media coverage, both locally and nationally. Uh, so I was curious to see how that played out and how the, the union and their strike um, could be framed in, in terms of politics. So when I was speaking to them, they were still on strike. Uh, this was a few hours before they announced their tentative agreement. All right, you want to just state your name for me? Hi, my name is Thomas Hayes. I'm a member of the local board 202. I'm a trustee and a business agent for the Teamsters 202 union. How long have you been a Teamster? I've been a Teamster for 24 years, but I've been working in the market here going on four years. And and why, what are you guys out here trying to accomplish? We're, we're striking because the, the other side of the table, meaning the, the merchants and the owners of the market, they don't feel that the members deserve if you make 1857 you should move up to 20 and if you make 20 we ask them $1 and at that we want you to put 60 cents towards our health fund during the pandemic if 60 cents keep your company going would you give 60 cents for that to keep your store going i would and they can't say they don't have the money this is the largest produce market in the world a dollar don't seem that stressful matter of fact i think they should give it to them for working through the pandemic. Some, we lost members here. People died because COVID took it home to their family. But we came to work every day. Our numbers guys said that they made just as much money during the pandemic this year than they did last year. So why can't they give them a decent raise? That's all we asking, a fair increase. A day's work for a day's pay. They drew first blood. We, we, didn't wanna, we don't wanna fight, we wanna work. And that's where we at with this here. And uh, what do you say to people who might be thinking, you know, there's so many people out of work right now because of the pandemic. Uh, You guys should just be grateful for the jobs you have. They said that to us, believe it or not. And why shouldn't you be grateful you got got a job if you're providing for your family, your kids putting food on the table? That would give me a lot of gratitude. So for you to say you should be grateful, I am. Not on account of you saying that, but because I can do what I'm supposed to do as a man that take care of this family. How dare you say I should be happy? You should be happy that I come to work so you can continue to make the money you make. Share the wealth. I don't want the billions. Share the wealth. You know, cover me medically and put something so I can continue to care for my family. That's all I'm asking. You know, so um, this move that we did here is a show of strength, and I appreciate the movement. I hope it's a good outcome, and we'll see at the end. But we'll be here a day longer and a day stronger. Um, Danny Kane. And you are the president of Local 202? Local 202 Teamsters Union, yes. And how long have you been a part of the Teamsters? I've been a member of the union since 1984, so that's a long time. Just to give people a sense, like what's the average uh, wage that people earn here? Well, the, the wages range anywhere from, let's say, $19 an hour to $22 an hour. You know, so what's that a year? That's about 40. 40 to 42000 43000 base pay. Bob, this work, because it's a perishable industry, it's based on overtime. So most of our members will be making between... 55, 65,000, and the drivers will make 
80 to 85,000, somewhere in that range. And what you guys are asking for now is what? Well, you know, we were fighting for a dollar, and, uh, and uh, I said to our members, uh, what we're really fighting for is that the offer that was given to us was 32 cents an hour. So that's, there's the drastic difference between those two. Did you guys have some members that were arrested earlier this week? Uh, they were given desk appearance tickets, like a traffic tickets for, for uh, civil disobedience. And that's because they were obstructing traffic or what? Well, you know, we, were, we had a large, we, we've had very good uh, participation in the strike. And our members and, you know, ourselves were all out here um, getting our voices heard. And I guess some of the... I, I'm not sure what they're giving the tickets for, but you know, we, we, we were out here in, in, in a mass numbers. And um, I, I, it's sort of, I, don't, I don't believe they should have been given those tickets, but um, that's, need, that's needed here and there. But our, but our members have been uh, militant, but peaceful. Um, the, the late John Lewis said, you know, get in good trouble. This is good trouble that the folks are getting in here. And uh, in terms of what you're hoping to achieve, what, what are the goals here for this action? Are you hoping to get more people to come out? Would you like to actually shut down trucks coming in or out of the depot? What's, what's the, 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 the goal? We've accomplished much of our goal, and that's to make our voices heard. Uh, I think that, we're, that we have um, inspired workers throughout our community and the country that it's time for workers' voices to be heard in this country. So uh, what are we fighting for? A little fairness, basically, uh, that, that I think has been uh, sorely overlooked in this country. What do you say to people who, who might think, you know, there's so many people out of work right now, uh, you know, you guys should just count your blessings and feel grateful that you have jobs in the first place? Uh, well, I think that, um, I don't know, I, I think that most workers don't, don't, prescribe to the idea that they should just sit down and be happy that they have a job. Um, our members are, essential workers are people that cannot telecommute. They cannot sit behind a screen or stay home. They can't avoid engaging people because they use their bodies mostly to do the work. Uh, from our members to people in the hospital, they have to show up. And our members have suited up and showed up, put up a mask on and, and hope for the best. And when you do that kind of work, that's essential. We don't have to make a fortune, but we just want to be able to make a living. You know, I just told our members, we're not always going to get what we want, but we're going to get what we need. And that's what we're fighting out here for. Um, some, we've always, we always found room to find common ground before. Uh, and during the pandemic, to be offered half of our wage, wage increase that we got last year, basically. That's sort of... I think that's the issue more than what we want, but, but, but we think it's being sort of taken advantage, like give us a 32-cent wage increase, where last year we received a 60-cent wage increase, and we do deserve a dollar, whether we'll get that or not, but we compromised in the past and we've compromised in the future, but 32 cents is not a compromise. What message do you have to people who are either taking these replacement jobs or might be considering taking these replacement jobs? Um, you mean you mean scabs? People yeah, the scabs. In? Yeah. Well, I don't think there are a lot of those people out there uh, doing that, and I think that things are changing. I think that there's been an organic movement started here with these workers in this week, in which the community is just rallied around them. 
and I don't, I think more workers are identifying with these workers than not. So I don't, you know, what would I say? You know, you're on the wrong side. You step out here and have, you know, join our, join the ranks of the working class that's actually sticking up for themselves. I know in the past several decades, there's been a big decline in union membership uh, and, and labor organizing in general. How do you feel right now just about this action, but also, you know, the labor movement in general? Look, I think the labor movement's had its struggles and it's been, uh, has been under attack. You know, um, capital's very powerful. They, they, they don't like labor organizations. Why? Because we speak for the people and labor organizations can count. There's only two kinds of power in the world. There's people and organization and capital. And capital is, you know, very powerful uh, in our society. But I do think there's going to be a swing one day because the middle class wasn't built by rich people. It was built by labor organization and working class people fighting for the basic needs of people working, you know. So, uh, and I do think, from what I can tell, a lot of people in this country have identified with this strike. I think that says something about the strikers, but I think it also says something about the mood of the country. Yeah. That people do feel that they've been, that the working class has been neglected and oppressed uh, to some extent in this country. And wages have been driven down and uh, health care issues have, you know, if you went to this country 50 years ago, there was not a health care crisis because everybody had a halfway decent job and it, there wasn't a problem. Uh, all of a sudden we have one because people don't have those types of jobs. Do you think that um, there's a political party that's the logical home for the labor movement or for your membership or people like yourself who are labor organizers? Do you feel like necessarily that uh, is represented by either the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or maybe one of the other smaller political parties? I don't know. I think that, the you know, obviously the traditional home of the labor movement was the Democratic Party in the 20th century. And uh, and I think that that's, prob that's where it should lie. We, their, their interests sort of, their issues sort of fall on that side of the table. But there's been a, a very aggressive attack by the right against the labor organizations. By and large, they, you know, they, 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 they don't let a, uh, let something. They they don't um, stop the attacks on work on workers organizations in this country from the right. So I think the Democratic Party uh, is uh, the logical home for the labor movement. We'll have our battles within the party on how on what workers' needs are, but uh, but Republican the, the Republican Party with its stance on right to work and its stance on anti-union legislation, you can't sort of get around that kind of stuff. My name is Darren Brunner. I'm a warehouse chef. worker. Warehouse worker, yes. grill, grill master at the yeah, grill master at the out here striking for a fair wage, for a fair day's work. How long have you worked here at the? Thirty-one market? years in the market. I got it, baby. I'm good. Come on, you can't chef up on me like that. <laughs> <laughs> you tried to take your tongs. Yeah, there you go. I don't like it when people do that right. either. Uh, what's it like working in there? It's uh, like no other place in the world. It's a its own entity in there. If you don't work there, you won't understand how it works there. It's um, how can I say? It's it's hard. You know, you're lifting all day. You're on your feet all day. You have to um, deal with people. Some people you have to deal with foreigners. You have to deal with um, everybody, the general public, everybody. Um, I did both ends. I was management for a long time. Then they sold my company out. 
So I had to start from the bottom again. I'm back to being a warehouseman. But um, I've been here 31 years, man. It's fed my family. It's kept us all healthy. You know, thank God with the health care and, you know, the union supported us. You know, without the union, we wouldn't have health care. We wouldn't have a decent wage. And uh, I happened to, we actually got sick here in November. Brought the virus home to my family. But thank God, you know, we're all good and safe. And, you know, to this day, and that's why we're out here fighting. We're fighting to keep our families safe, keep our families fed, and keep our families healthy, and keep ourselves healthy. Because one thing they need, they need us as much as we need them. We need them for the job, and they need us to get the job done. So this fight, it's crazy. Let's come to an agreement. You know, I think 32 cents is a disgrace. It's a slap in the face. We're working through the pandemic. We didn't sit home. We didn't phone it in on a computer. We weren't doing Zoom calls. We were out here working. The least you could do is just say, you know what, man, with everything going on, here's your raise. And that's it. And what do you say to people who might think, you know, so many people without work these days and suffering economically, you guys should just be happy that you're employed and that you have a job to go to? Yes, I understand that. There are a lot of people. My wife is out of work. I understand it. But you know what? We are essential. We keep the city fed. We keep the Tri-State area fed. You know, so it's not like we can just close down. They didn't close one day, one single day during this pandemic. You know, I mean, we've got to be thankful we have jobs, yes. But they should be thankful that we come to work. You know what I mean? I work with guys and the next day they're not here. They're in the hospital or they're dead. It's happened. I got a friend of mine who got the virus, blood clots all throughout his body. Doesn't know when he can come back to work. You know? How's he going to feed his family? He didn't ask for this. Nobody asked for this. But we're here working. You know, and I, I don't blame them. They didn't ask for it either. But let's meet in the middle. Let's meet halfway. Come on, let's do something. You know, for us to go on strike, I, I'm on strike because I believe it's the right thing to do. And I'll be out here for as long as it takes. And hopefully it won't be that long, but, you know, we can only hope. And are you a member of a political party? Not really. Um, whoever, as long as they do the right thing. That's all I'm looking for. You know, in the beginning, it looked like Trump was going to do the right thing, but we all see he didn't. Let's see what Biden's going to do. I'm just looking for someone who's just going to treat us right, treat America right. That's all I want. And you had, like, for example, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was out here the right. other night. Like, there's the members of the Democratic Socialists of America here. Sure. Do you think that that those organizations and those politicians, um, do you feel adequately represented by them? or? Do well, they feel sort of like foreign and alien to you? Just call, oh, maybe you got Yeah, I'm not a big political guy. Yeah. You know, look, 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 I'm a meat and potatoes guy, straight up. Uh -huh. I go to work, I do my job, I come home, I take care of my family. Yeah. That's what I do. Yeah. You know? But to see the people come down and give us support, that's great. I've yet to see the Bronx Borough president here. I've yet to see the mayor come down. We haven't heard nothing from Cuomo. So it kind of makes, you know, this is your city. These are your people. Yeah. You know? I mean, me, you know, I've, I've been a member of a union, but, uh, but very sparingly. Right. Uh, you know, and I'm familiar with some of the, these Democratic Socialists of America type of people. Right. And I'm just really curious to see how, like, culturally that unfolds. Like, if, if it, what do you think about that? It, uh, it's good to see that the young people take an interest in what's going on. Yeah. With the workforce of America. Yeah. You know, I'm 52 years old. Yeah. These kids are half my age. Right. You know. Yeah. I'm, Give me one second. I'll take care of you, all right? Yeah, so uh, it's good to see that they come out and they support us, you know? 
it, it, it makes me proud, I guess, in a way, to see that they care about the, the workforce of America. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because there's so many people who would love to get rid of a union, you know, and pay you whatever. Yeah. Look at Amazon. The guy's got so much money. And he's got more money than he'll never spend in three lifetimes. What is it to give the people $20, $25 for what they're doing? I don't think it's unfair. You know, if minimum wage is 15 and you're flipping burgers, okay, I understand that. When you're working with machinery and you're working around people, like big crowd, and you can't social distance and there's a chance you're getting hurt or sick, you need to be paid for that. I believe that, you know? And I said, it's good to see that these people believe in a union. That's what makes me proud. Uh, I will say uh, they had been on strike for about a week. I showed up on the picket line probably around 4.30, and by 8.30 or so they had a contract. I'm not trying to take all yeah, the credit. You did but it. You did it. What's your, what's your take from what you heard there? Um, well, I, you know, I, I don't know the – I mean, I'm familiar with the market. I don't know um, how it's set up. I don't think the market is one big company. I, I think it's all – different companies and so I don't know how big they are and how much they can afford to don't forget they're paying rent and they're probably losing business during this pandemic as well I can understand these guys wanting to go on strike um, uh, you know but it doesn't sound like they were striking over all that much money and I don't know how long they were on strike but don't forget they're losing they're losing all of that money they're not going to get back the time they're out on strike. So if they make another 30 cents an hour, how long is it going to take for them, you know, to, for this to make sense? I don't know. Well, they were on strike for about a week. Okay. And what they ended up getting, so it's, it's really interesting. When I showed up there, they were fighting for a dollar, right? They wanted a dollar more an hour and they wanted 60 cents, I think, or something like that to go towards their health care contribution. Yeah, but he said they were they what were they ended up thirty something cents of that dollar. So they were only they were only fighting over seventy cents. They were fighting over seventy cents. And um I'm I'm just reading from uh AM New York here, but the, the deal was uh that the the deal they ended up signing was to increase their total wage by a dollar eighty-five an hour over the next three years. So in the first year, it'll be a seventy cents per hour. The second year, fifty cents per hour, and the third year, sixty-five cents per hour, and an extra forty cents per hour to the employee health care. So what's that? A buck eighty-five okay. uh, divided by three years is like sixty something, sixty-one, sixty-two cents an hour is what they ended up getting. So they did meet. They did end up meeting in the middle. Yeah, which is what usually happens, um, you know. And they were only on strike for a week, so um, I think they probably did okay. But when you think about the the mathematics of this, you have to take into account they didn't get paid anything for that whole week, and so, you know, um, how long is it going to take uh, that extra sixty cents or whatever it is to an hour to make up for that lost week? But you know, if they're happy, so be it. Yeah, I mean, I think in general, though, what is what do you make of what they were talking about just in terms of the importance of a union and the dynamic between capital and workers and yeah. the fact that it's it's unions that are the ones that really make the gains for protection for workers, for a fair wage, for the end to child labor, for the 40-hour work week, et cetera, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, unions have brought about major significant changes in, in our society. I, I agree with that. Um, but, you know, I, I think unions 
today's unions are are over overextended. I mean, they take a lot of money out of these employees' salary. That's not seen. You know, it's just part of your deduction uh, from your wages. Um, and uh, I don't know how much of that goes actually to benefits versus how much of that goes to political action committees and political funds. I mean, the unions really do support the Democratic Party to a large degree in this country. Um, he, he's right that the president or whoever it was that said that, um, you know, historically, uh, unions have been Democratic uh, voters. I think Trump had a big hand in changing that to some degree and bringing a lot of union members over to the Republican Party. But, you know, will that sustain? Who knows? We'll see um, in the future. But for, for the long and short of it, from the politics of it, um, historically, unions have been Democrats. Um, but a lot of members, I think, might see things a little differently these days. Yeah, I, I, find, I find that to be incredibly interesting. And that was kind of what I was getting at, because I guess if I could just sort of uh, set the scene a little bit, I showed up there uh, last Friday. When I got there, there was maybe 20, 30 Teamsters. Uh, and you could tell because they had these bright yellow jackets or they had their sort of bomber's jacket with the logo on the back of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there was probably an equal amount of you know, young people, a lot of them were members of the Democratic Socialists of America. A lot of them were teachers who were members, like, very active in the teachers' union who showed up to support the strike. And then there was actually also, like, members of all sorts of disparate groups. Black Lives Matter uh, activists were there. People from other more, like, fringe left groups. Like, I, there was this uh, woman walking around handing out pamphlets from, I have it right here, something called the... The Internationalist, which, as I understand it, is a sort of Trotskyite <laughs> okay. uh, organization, okay, so. <laughs> dedicated dedicated mostly dedicated mostly to undermining the Democratic Socialists of America yeah. from the yeah. left. A lot of a um, lot of fringe fringe folks do get attracted to these. Yeah, things. and I found it I found it really sort of an interesting cultural. Tell me, tell me mix, some of the logistics could, about imagine. the strike itself. Uh, where where okay. were they picketing? Were they inside uh, in front of these booths or shops or were they outside the market itself so they were in the parking lot or on the side of the road at the entrance to the market like where where i guess the trucks drive in or one of the areas where the trucks drive okay in. Were, were they um, stopping trucks they had the a trucks? sort of no so the truck no they had like a gated off uh area that was like away from where the trucks would enter okay. and i guess on two i guess on tuesday when uh, a group of these people got arrested. They were interfering with the flow of traffic and maybe stopping the trucks. I'm not entirely sure okay. exactly why they got arrested. It's but, interesting to me um, because they're Teamsters and the truckers are Teamsters. Why the truckers didn't honor their picket line? That's that, that to me is interesting. I don't know. So there were some truckers who did honor the picket line. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the things that AOC talked about when she spoke. The other night, that truck came in. And, and they stood up and talked to them and they said, listen, man, this is what's going on. And he said, you know what? I'm a teamster too. I'm turning around going back to Ohio. Woo! Sent shivers down our spine. 
shivers of solidarity down our spine over here, and I'm sure we scared those folks down over there. And that kind of solidarity is how we win everything. It's how we win our wages, it's how we win our rights, it's how we win a better country, and it's how we win our future. And I think it's so important that we remember that. Because yes, change happens at the ballot box, yes, change happens in policy, but change happens on the picket line too. And we can't ever forget that. We can't ever forget that. When Danny Kane spoke uh, after he announced the tentative agreement, he said, like, this is in large part to Congresswoman Cortez, who showed up here and went on CNN last night and got 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 the spotlight on this issue. We had a, a pretty good uh, social media presence on Monday and Tuesday night, but um, where is she? Where'd she go? <laughs> Thank you, Congresswoman. <laughs> Because <laughs> we were doing pretty good, and uh, you know, then you showed up and things changed. Okay, okay, AOC. <laughs> I can't help but wonder: Are these people, when they see that and they see AOC there fighting for them and helping them get what they want, are they then gonna? You know, support her in her reelection campaign. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Is, is, you know, uh, don't forget, AOC was instrumental in in preventing I forget what corporation from moving uh, to New York and and losing I don't know how many thousands of jobs. No, I think they ended up getting. I don't it. think so. But they. Got I think it they went elsewhere. Yeah, I think they, they went elsewhere. No, they ended up getting some sort of deal. We keep talking about Amazon uh, beefing up its workforce in New York City, but the company has announced it'll be adding offices and about 1,500 workers in Manhattan rather than Long Island City, Queens. So that was supposed to be one of the locations for Amazon's second headquarters, if you remember. But Amazon canceled those plans in February. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez slammed Amazon's announcement that it's building a headquarters in New York City, but touted the fact that it will not receive any financial incentives from the local or state government. Tweeted, quote, Won't you look at that? Amazon is coming to NYC anyway, without requiring the public to finance shady deals, helipad handouts for Jeff Bezos, and corporate giveaways. One of the things I've been thinking a lot about since uh, I was down there is it just seems like such a big political opportunity for politicians who are sort of leaving um, chips on the table by not being more visible in these moments and showing up and showing their support for organized labor because it, it has been, and it's, I guess, you know, labor unions continue to be a political force. The teachers union, uh, the police union here in New York is like incredibly powerful. Uh, in state and local politics. Yeah, but... The teachers' but unions across the country are incredibly powerful. I don't know that it's so powerful in the city uh, right now. I, uh, yeah. I, I mean, clearly they are. If you follow Bill de Blasio's uh, politics, I mean, he. I think he would love to do a lot more than he does uh, in terms of police reform if it wasn't for the police union. But I guess my point is, is like... In general, it just seems like um, what part of what Danny Kane was saying is, is, you know, I asked him, like, what's 
is there a political party that's the obvious home for the labor movement? And he kind of said, well, it's tended to be the Democratic Party over the years, but, you know, and that's mostly, as, as he put it, because the right has allowed for the erosion of workers' protections and, you know, things like uh, right-to-work laws that undermine uh, the ability of unions to charge people dues. So what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that the Democratic Party has absconded its uh, traditional role of supporting organized labor? Do, is that something that you would like to see the Republican Party do more of? Well, listen, as well, a conservative? Well, it was one of the first 10 things that Joe Biden did um, by his uh, when, it, when his first day in office. What, what, what are the t- he, he stopped that pipeline, um, which cost, I don't know how many thousands of union jobs, um, I don't think that's going to be well looked upon by the unions. You know, he, he went in favor of the ecologists um, and shut it down. I mean, that, that was thousands and thousands of jobs, good paying jobs, I might add. And, you know, he didn't seem to care. That was one of his, one of his first 10 acts. So are the Democrats seizing the moment? No, no. Um you know he's going to do the same with the with the coal industry and and the uh, you know um, the oil industry. He's shut down a lot of uh, stuff up in uh, Alaska. He he stopped building of the wall. Those that's jobs. It's not just a political issue that Trump was in favor of. Um, it's symbolic in a lot of ways, but it's also jobs. Uh, he's. I, I, you know, he, I don't know that he's such a, a strong union guy like he used to be. Yeah. And what about these other like the Democratic Socialists, like someone like AOC? Do you think that's smart politics on her part uh, to, to take on these causes? I mean, she she didn't go to Biden's inauguration and instead showed up to this picket line. Yeah, I think that's, that's I think politics? it's smart politics. I mean, you know, sure. She's looking for ground support one of the one of the more um animated speeches after the teamsters announced they'd struck a deal with management was from a guy named sean o'brien who is currently the vice president of the eastern region of the teamsters but who's running to unseat jim hoffa the son of the famous jimmy hoffa for the teamsters presidency what you did here in the last week is historical what you did taking on a schoolyard bully and punching them right in the face and demanding respect is more than commendable you should be very proud of yourself i want to say one thing you've got a great leadership team here you've got a great committee you've got great support in the communities with all the politicians but more importantly this would have not been successful if it wasn't for the courage and conviction that you all showed taking on this white-collar crime syndicate known as employers. Yeah. So obviously that got a big cheer from the crowd. Well, yeah, because there's uh, a lot of socialists there. I mean, white-collar crime known as employers. Come on. How many, how, many, uh, how many employers are struggling and going out of business because of this pandemic in the last year? How many small business owners have just couldn't couldn't make it you know i mean come on what what is he talking about he's well, equating you know, he's equating guys, employ- these guys employers as white criminals white collar criminals 
get realistic, buddy. I mean, the thing is, I think uh, the framing of some union activism and of socialism is that, as as Danny Kane put it, perhaps a little bit more, um, ab- uh, perhaps less abrasively, uh, you got two forces in the world. You have uh, capital and you have workers, you know? It's so, not that think- simple, Russ. It's not black and white. You don't have, not every business is General Motors, okay? Or under today's uh, Microsoft or Twitter. Not every business is that. Okay, there's mom and pop businesses and they're struggling. They're struggling to make ends meet. Now, now Biden's putting a fifth. Now here he did to the unions, right? $15 an hour minimum wage nationwide. What do you think that's going to accomplish? Well, it'll probably make it so that people who make less than $15 an hour are able to make $15 an hour. And there'll be know. less of them because they're going to get fired because the business can't afford to pay five people $15 an hour. So they'll have to make do with four or three. And places like McDonald's and all of these fast food shops are going to start using more and more robotics. And you're going to see less employees. So, well, you know, yeah. it's going the to, is- in the end, it's going to do just the opposite of what they want. $15 an hour. Do you know how much that is a year? It's it's not the point. It's not the point. There's no minimum wage for the employer, okay? Um, Sally opens up a little uh, hamburger stand. There's no minimum wage for her. Right, but you're she's starting a business, right? She's trying to do something that's going to generate a profit. Maybe. And if she has employees. Maybe. And maybe she has to put a lot of heart and soul and blood and tears into it. And maybe she has to put a yeah. lot of money into it to, to build to build it out and to put in ovens and whatever. And you know what? She may have to go under because 50% of the businesses go under. And what's going to happen then? If she can't afford... But okay, so should she be able to pay the employees five dollars an hour, assuming she, there's people willing to she, work for five dollars an she hour? She should be able to do whatever she can. And and if she That's, can't <laughs> that goes against what we were saying before, which is the protections for workers, the end to child labor, the fact that we don't have people in New York City working in sweatshops that catch on fire. Yeah, yeah. So How long ago was that, Russ? 1920s. It was in the 1910s. Yeah, but, so, but so those, that, those laws have all been passed and enacted. So there's a lot of protections now for employees that weren't there then. And, and yes, the unions brought that about, and I'm in favor of that. But there's now a lot of protections built in the law that, you know, the, the, those reasons for a union no longer really exist. So, yeah, do people need protection? And should people make a minimum wage? Yeah, I agree. But there's no, but but, there's okay. no such well, protection. There's hour. no such protection for the small business owner, is there? But the, No, but, if, but look, if I wanted to... I, I used to own a small business. It was a backpacker's hostel. I paid people more than the minimum wage in the country because where you, the hostel Because was. you could afford to. Your, your income qualified for that. Because it was a good business, yeah, right? Sometimes, but if a business, sometimes if you a just business struggle. can't afford to pay people, if a business can't afford to pay people a, a dignified wage, then I don't know if they have any business owning a business. I'm sorry to say it, but it's like if I got to the point where I'm running a business and I struggle and I can't afford the rent, uh, I can't say to the guy, "Hey, look, like you know, I'm really poured my heart and soul into this whole operation and." 
unfortunately, I have to cut some corners and I just can't afford to pay the rent. That's right now. correct. You're right. You're right. Where... It's a risk. It's 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 very risky. Exactly. Number one, you, you're dealing with you got to pay all kinds of taxes and and go through all kinds of regulatory garbage um, that you know. It, is necessary to some degree because you know there's health codes and what have you if you're opening a restaurant but all of those things have to be met and but there, there has to be business there has to be people coming in and sometimes you go through dry spells and people don't come in for whatever reason and that's all fine and good i'm just saying fifteen dollars an hour is twenty nine thousand dollars a year and that's well below the poverty line by any metric. So you got to imagine. That includes, but that in- includes people who are high school kids who are getting part-time jobs. Those, those people are not going to get those jobs anymore. You see? That's fine. There's plenty of people. But those there's were, plenty those of, were people who, their first employment in life, they're starting off on life, okay? And their, their first introduction to business it's no longer going to be there for a lot of those kids. But the problem is that erodes the wage of people who live off of those uh, those low-paying jobs, you know. And 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 you got to imagine, Dad, uh, as a conservative, now you're going to have a significant chunk of the way the workforce who, if they're making less than fifteen dollars an hour, they're making well below thirty thousand dollars a year, which is well below the poverty line. How are you going to subsidize? those people's basic needs, you do it through all sorts of government programs, right? You do it through food stamps, you do it through uh, publicly funded housing, uh, right? These, these people are then going to need all sorts of financial assistance that we're going to pay through our tax dollars to subsidize the cost that should really probably be uh, paid for by their employer, assuming their employer is running a for-profit business. Because otherwise, what's happening essentially is the employer is relying off of subsidies from the government to make it so that the person who they employ to work at their business can afford to just exist. I'm just telling you that $15 an hour, and in some places it's actually less than what already exists. I think New York has a $17 for if I'm correct. I don't know. Um, so, so that's not a big deal. Well, in I think New York like is actually New York. 15, but there are other places in the country that, that you know, they, they just don't have that. You know, they're making $7, $8 an hour is a minimum wage. Now you're going to double that. And what does that mean? That means an average small business, which are the biggest employers in the country, Russ? Believe me, it's not Twitter. It's not the big companies. It's the small businesses that keep this country afloat. Um, a lot of those businesses are going to have to lay people off. They're just going to have to. Right. But, and that's sad. But do you see my... I, I sure, see your point. It's... I see your point, but you don't see mine. I see your okay. point. I just think that if if you're being a capitalist, right, and you're saying like the goal of capitalism is some Darwinian uh, some Darwinian end whereby um, people who people in businesses who are adept at making a profit uh, can survive, and people who are incapable of turning a profit don't survive, and as a result, capital can then be invested in ventures that do produce profits. Well, if your profit margin is going to be based on paying people uh, an undignified wage that they can't actually support themselves with, then what business do they have being a business? Undignified wage. Okay. 
All right. Well, f- so I mean, $30,000 a year. What's going to... $30,000 a year to to you seems no, like a, it's a starting, adequate amount it's a of money starting, for someone to live off of. It's a starting job, as I was trying to tell you. It's not that, meant the way for... Our that, economy. That's not meant for... Um, you know, people who who supporting families of, you know, three three four kids. No, but but a lot of people do. Well, I can't help that. Then they need to get a better education and get a better job, don't they? You see, you're saying you're saying, well, the business owner, if he can't make it, he can't make a a profit. He shouldn't be in that business. Well, okay, your employees should go out and get an education and get a better job. Learn a yeah, learn a trade. If, if it's learn about a trade, get a better if it's paying like, job. If those jobs are increasingly disappearing, right, As and that's a big part of the jobs reason why because of your fifteen dollar minimum wage. No, but previous to the fifteen dollar minimum wage, or no, right? The economy used to be largely based on manufacturing, right? Yeah, Can yeah, you I hear you. And Donald and, Trump brought a lot of that ma- back, didn't he? Okay, but regardless of Donald Trump or not Donald Trump, I think he brought back several tens of thousands of uh, manufacturing jobs and probably lost plenty of others. But that's neither here nor there because you're talking about a workforce of hundreds of millions of people. Okay, so if at this point, 30 to 40 percent of the economy is making less than $15 an hour, that's not a sign that. Thirty to forty percent of the population simply needs to learn how to. Code I don't believe. I don't believe in your statistics. I don't believe it's thirty to forty percent of the population is making less than a minimum wage. I don't believe that. They're making less than fifteen dollars an hour. I don't. I don't believe that. Okay. I mean, that's. <laughs> I'm going to try to find it. Find it written somewhere, but. Um. Yeah, I mean, this is a knowable fact. So a knowable, just get to a knowable fact. Sure. Because you know it. No, I mean, I know it because I've read a lot about this. I don't know specifically uh, where I can find a citation. Okay. But it's something that people study, so I will be able to find a citation. Oh, oh I'm sure you will. I'm sure you'll find some socialist uh, propaganda. But okay, let's let's move on. Okay, here, I'm looking at... No, because I think this is important. Okay, I'm looking at a CNN money article, okay? A CNN um, money article, yeah, okay. What does it say? You don't trust CNN I money? I don't trust CNN, but go ahead, what does it say? Uh, should we find a Fox News yeah, article? Find anything you want. Tell me about CNN. Um, the Brookings Institution. How about that? Okay. The Brookings Institution. Yeah. Okay. Um, 53 million U.S. workers are making low wages despite low national unemployment. This is from November of 2019. Okay. So it's a year old, pre-pandemic times. Okay. okay? A new report from the Metropolitan Policy Program at the Brookings shows that 53 million Americans, 44% of all American workers aged 18 to 64, have low-wage jobs. The significant portion of the nation's labor force is earning median hourly wages of 10.22 an hour and a manual uh, and a median annual earning of $17,950 a year. Um, and then it goes on to talk about the demographic breakdowns mm-hmm. but all this to say uh, a significant chunk of the workforce is making 
well below what is has been established as the poverty well, line. Well, you see, so, the poverty line. So you live in New mm-hmm. York where, um, yes. you know, the cost of living is pretty damn high. I live in San Diego where it's probably very similar. Um, let's talk about podunk in the middle of the country. Um, Do you think that there's there's those people should be able to support themselves on $17,950 a year? I don't know. I don't know what housing costs there. I'm sure it's a whole lot less than we're talking about. You see, there's not one standard. You can't, you can't just put every place and every one in one bucket and say, well, it's below, um, you know. But dad, come on. These people are making, if you're making less than $20,000 a year in this country, mm-hmm. the, the, you're going to be struggling, right? Well, it depends on what your spouse is making. Okay, but you're talking about a country that's the well, the richest country in the uh, world. With you the keep highest, going uh, back to that. You keep, you know, you, you don't have a whole lot to good of to say about this country, but you keep falling back on well, the richest country in the world. Yeah, okay. No, I'm not saying. Look, I'm not saying it's quote unquote the richest country in the world, but that seems to be the talking point that people make when they talk about American exceptionalism and how great of a country we are. So I throw that back in their face and say. If that's true, if this is the greatest country on the world, and you increasingly have the destruction of decent-paying manufacturing jobs that had union protections to make sure that families would be able to survive on perhaps even one single income, right? And increasingly, what you why have did a lot is, of those countries, why did a lot of those companies leave this country and go elsewhere? Because it was cheaper. Because it was cheaper to go employ people overseas. Oh, why is that? Why is that? Because they, they don't have, have less. Unions because they have they less labor protection. Wage. Because because they have less labor protection. Well, we they should, have slave we labor. Be, they have prison labor. And, they have child we labor. We should try and have competitive um, employment. But it's but that's just a race to the bottom, Dad. Like what you're saying essentially is, we should turn our economy into China or or uh, Bangladesh, where you could have kids working in sweatshops, you could employ uh, people in prison camps, and that you don't then don't have to pay, and therefore manufacture all of the products that the, the global I'm economy not, needs. I'm not. Don't put words in people's mouths. I'm not saying that, Russ. And you know, and okay. you know that. So you think it's a perfectly fine state of affairs that a significant chunk of the workforce is making twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollars a year? No, I'm not saying that. I think our workforce should should strive to make more money, and I think, uh, and, and I don't want to go falling back on Trump because I'm not, I don't particularly, I'm not very fond of Trump. I'm, but under Republican uh, leadership, uh, before the pandemic hit, everybody was. What you're saying is these people should consider those jobs sort of an entry level position. You do part time while you go to community college or you go to get your degree. That's going to then lead you to what exactly? Because the share of jobs that pays what would be a livable wage or a wage that I think you could, you would agree would be uh, significant enough to raise a family and own a house and do all of the things that have signified the American dream for people. Um, if those jobs are increasingly shrinking and there's a greater share of the economy well, that, that are that's jobs that's going to continue that, to happen as we get more and more into um, you know technology and robotics and things like that. Jobs are going to be so people's jobs. Well, that's something that needs to be discussed. 
I mean, that that's not something you can answer in, in a podcast. That's something that is going to take uh, a, a lot of thought, and I don't know the answer. 